message is going to be a little bit shorter, and so don't have time for an introduction. Here's my one-sentence catchy introduction. You ready for it? This message today could be one of the most important so far in our series on the Gospel of Mark. Ready? All right. Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 7 through 19. We keep just going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse. This week we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 7, and we're going to go through verse 19. If you have your Bible, you can open up to that, and if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word together this morning. This we know and trust is the Word of the Lord, and here is what it says. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Then he went up on the mountain, and he called to him, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the nickname Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. You can be seated. You'll see in your outline, uh, in your bulletin, that might be helpful for you. Uh, We're going to go through this relatively quickly today and so you might need to just jot some notes down uh, to try and keep up. Also some questions like normal on the bottom to help you apply this after this morning, because we're not going to have a lot of time to just sit and soak it in. So, want to point out, we're going to just quickly go through verses 7 through 12, because in verses 7 through 12, what Mark is doing is he's repeating some themes that we've already seen quite a bit in the Gospel of Mark, and they're just being repeated again. Jesus, you'll see in verses 7 through 12, is doing what he's already been doing a lot in the Gospel of Mark. He's displaying his authority in a number of different ways. So if you look just very quickly, in verse 7, Jesus is withdrawing from the crowd. We see Jesus do that a lot in Mark. That there's a crowd and Jesus withdraws and takes himself away from the crowd. And we also see in verse 7 that Jesus is spending time with his disciples. Jesus is doing that a lot in the Gospel of Mark. That he spends time with his disciples. And then... We also see Jesus healing many. He's been doing that a lot so far. And so we see in verse 10, Jesus is healing many. And so the crowds keep coming. We also see Jesus casting out unclean spirits. He's been doing that a lot already in the Gospel of Mark. So again, Jesus continues to do what he's already been doing. And the crowds continue to respond in the way that they've always Responded. We've had a couple weeks in a row, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, we've really zeroed in on one group of people, the Pharisees. And, and remember, the Pharisees' response to Jesus has generally been that of challenging his authority, 
questioning him. And then in the last verse of our passage from last week, remember what they were planning? Verse 6, they were plotting together with the Herodians to, about how to destroy him. So that's one group of people. And they're not actually going to show up in this passage this week. We've spent a couple weeks with them. Now we're moving away from them. God that's coming to Jesus now is typically made up of a crowd who really wants to be around Jesus. They want to be around Jesus so bad that Jesus is scared that he's going to get crushed. So he says, disciples, get me a getaway vehicle ready because these guys are they're coming in so close. I need to get in a boat and we need to get out of here if these guys are going to crush me. That's how many people were coming. And if you looked at where they're coming from in verses 7 through 12, Jerusalem, Idumea, Galilee, Judea, beyond the Jordan, Tyre, inside, people are coming from miles around. The crowd is gathered from miles around, all sorts of different people, Jewish people, Gentiles, all these people coming together, some people very sick and they want healing. Some people have unclean spirits, they want to see them cast out. But all this whole group of people coming to crowd around Jesus. And so, again, we see crowds. And we've talked about that before, how crowds keep showing up in Mark. And in Mark, crowds aren't always looked at and usually not looked at with favor. That Jesus is always trying to get away from the crowds and take people away from the crowds rather than be surrounded by the crowds. And that's what we see him doing. And so, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 13, 14, and 15 this morning. Verses 16 through 19 give us the list of who the 12 disciples are, some of whom we'll hear much more about, some of whom we'll not hear anything about anymore. And I want to focus, though, especially on verses 13 through 15, because here's a word that if you're around our church long, and most churches long, you're going to hear used a lot, and that is the word disciple. We use the word disciple and the word discipleship. What does that actually mean, though? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We're trying to make disciples in our church, and so we have Sunday school and youth group and Awana, and a lot of our youth are connected in a one-on-one discipleship relationship with an adult. And, and we're trying to do discipleship through small groups and discipleship on Sunday mornings. So we're doing a lot of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? To be a disciple, does that mean you sign up for a certain program at the church? And once you sign up for the program, you are now a disciple? And if you're not in one of those things that I already mentioned, then you're not a disciple? Is that what it means? No. That's not what it means to be a disciple. So what's a disciple of Jesus? I think we're going to see in these three verses here this morning, three essential components of what it means to be a disciple. Okay, three essential components of what it means to be a disciple. Number one is this. Look at verse 13. Hopefully you kept your Bible open. Look at verse 13. Here's what it says. And he went up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. The first component of what it means to be a disciple is this. To be a disciple, it means you have been called by Jesus out of a crowd And he has called you to himself, and you have come to him. That's what it means to be a disciple. The first component of being a disciple is that you've been called by Jesus out of something into something new. Okay? You were in the immediate context here. There is a crowd of people that are gathered, and Jesus withdraws to a mountainside, and he calls to himself disciples, it says, and 
those that he desired came to him. That's an illustration of a much bigger truth we see all throughout Scripture. Thankfully, that we have a God who comes and pursues us. We who are locked dead in our sin, literally dead in our sin, spiritually dead, and and as a rapper that I like to listen to puts it, we are on our way to hell with a full tank. That is where we're at. All of us come into the world headed in that direction. Okay, Spiritually dead, on our way to hell with a full tank until our God in His grace comes to pursue us. And Jesus calls us out of our life of sin, out of our infatuation with the world and says, no, you're coming with me. And so we see that all throughout Scripture. The, the elders and I were reading a book or going through a study called Follow Me. In that, uh, the author says this. He says, Jesus is not some puny religious teacher begging for an invitation from someone. He is the all-sovereign Lord who deserves submission from everyone. He is a sovereign God who seeks out people. John 6, Jesus puts it this way. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, listen to this promise, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. So we can say, praise God, that we have a Jesus who is able, like he did when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, who was physically dead, and all Jesus had to do was call out to Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came walking out alive out of the tomb. And we have a Jesus... The Jesus who alone has the power to call us out of our sin and out of this world and call us to himself. Do you know that's what it means to be the church? To be a disciple, to be a part of the church? The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which most of you probably don't care about, but it's actually two words put together. The second word is is the root word kaleo, which means to call. And the first part of the word ek means out of. So the church are those who are called out of. We're called out of our sin. We're called out of the world. So to be a disciple of Jesus, you become a part of the church. You're not just saved individually. You're saved and you become a part of the body of Christ. And you are called out of your sin, called out of the world, and become a part of a new society, a new group of people called the church. And so that's what it means to be a disciple, and that gets us into the second part. The second essential component of discipleship is that a disciple is someone who gets to be with Jesus. A disciple is someone who gets to be with Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, And he appointed twelve whom he named apostles. i got to stop for a second and just explain that. Jesus, again, displaying his authority He's calling out 12 guys. That was not an accident. It's like, well, I had 14, but two of them didn't show up, so it was just 12. Jesus is calling out 12 guys on purpose to display his authority. Just as God the Father selected the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament to carry out his purposes on earth, Jesus is now selecting 12 men to carry out the Father's purposes on earth in the New Testament. So he calls out these 12, and it says he names them apostles. That means 
that they are sent out. That, that's what that word means, is sent out ones. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus names them that. But I think it's important for us, before we just run on, um, to recognize that what Jesus is doing is he's calling a group of people. In this case, 12. But God is calling us. When he calls you to come to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, you, you join the church. Uh, hopefully you're, you're joining a local church and, and you want to commit yourself to the church through membership and, and we commit ourselves to you. But, but you're also joining something much bigger. The church, capital C, of all believers, past, present, and future, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And, and they come from other places in Iowa Falls. And that's part of the fun of what we get to do in a few minutes as we go and we partner with others who have also put their faith and trust in Jesus. They might do things a little differently than we do, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we're saved, as we become disciples, we become disciples and become a part of a larger group of people. And, and it's weird when you cooperate with other people, you're going to find differences and that kind of thing. Like there might even be some people that you get stuck on a work crew with that you have a history with today. You're like, ooh, got to work, ooh. Um, that, that's the way it works in the church. If you want to look at, if you looked at the, the verses here um, of the 12 guys that Jesus called, you would have noticed if you were reading it for the first time back in the first century, we don't notice as much now, but you would have noticed Jesus selected one guy named Matthew, a tax collector, another guy named Simon, who was a zealot. Tax collectors and zealots, you don't put those guys together. Like, if you're, if you're drafting a team of people, just like, they're not compatible. But Jesus calls a tax collector and a zealot to be on the same team, to be a part of his body, to be a part of him. He's calling them all, and that's, they're brothers, whether they like it or not, Okay? All right, and it's, it's a crazy mix of people, the church is. But here's where we get this, the second essential component of a disciple. Look at the second part of verse 14. He appointed 12, it says, whom he also named apostles. Listen, so that they might be with him. Disciples are people who get to be with Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it? People that Jesus has called out of their sin, out of this world, to be a part of something new and different. The body of Christ makes them something they are now that they were not before. Makes spiritually dead people alive, makes lost people found, makes blind people see. Calls us out of our sin and calls us to himself. And then we get to be with him. We a lot, a lot of times think of discipleship as like stuff that I'm doing. Discipleship, before it's an activity is a relationship. Catch that? Discipleship, before it's an activity and something we do, it's a relationship and it's something we are and something we become. That comes first. To be a disciple of Jesus means we get to be with Jesus. Maybe you've been before to a Christian conference or something, uh, like Promise Keepers, Women of Faith, maybe like a, a youth camp or something, and you just want to hang out there forever, don't you? Like, this is, like, I, I am, I'm here, I'm feeling the presence of Jesus as I'm gathered together with his people, and I don't want to leave, because when I go back to the world, it's a mess, but here I feel good. And what I fear as disciples is a lot of us in the church, 
get really, really comfortable. And I'm glad. This is a privilege that we can gather together as believers and that we can be with Jesus. That's a privilege, and we ought to take full advantage of it and enjoy it and praise God for it. But I know there's also Christians who think it means to be a disciple. You've got number one and number two done, and you're not really doing much of number three, which we're going to get to in a moment. And number one and number two seems relatively easy. Like, I can show up at a worship service 52 Sundays out of a year, and I can go to Bible study, Bible study, and have fellowship with other believers and be involved in a small group and go to Sunday school and serve in Awana and do all these things in my nice little insulated Christian bubble, and isn't that what it means to be a disciple? That Jesus has called me out of this world into fellowship with him, and so I'm going to hang out in my bubble. And we think that's about all. And we may not think that, because like, when I say that, you're like, well, that's not me. But functionally, that's the way a lot of Christians live. That you kind of have your home, and you've got your church, and that's kind of your bubble. And then even when you go to your workplace or your school or whatever, you kind of like close yourself off. And you're not really out there making disciples. You're kind of just closed off. But the third component of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus comes after in the second part of verse 14. Remember, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Okay, that's the second thing. And that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. This is, this is the challenging part, right? That we don't just get called out and called into, we also get sent back out. We kind of get pushed back out into that world that we were just called out of. And that can be challenging, and that's what a lot of us push away from. Because you're like, well, that's not for me. I'm sure that was for other people. Like when it says preaching, I don't preach. That's the guy up front on the stage with the microphone. He does the preaching. I do the listening. I'm not a preacher, and I'm not casting out demons. So I think Jesus was talking to somebody else. I heard one pastor illustrate it this way. Um, and, and here's the way he illustrated it. He said, what if, what if you got tickets? You were a big football fan, right? And you got tickets to a big game, maybe even the Super Bowl, right? And you pay a ton of money for a Super Bowl ticket. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot of money. And so you pay a ton of money for your ticket. You're all excited. You go to the game. You give in your ticket, and uh, you go find your seat. You're sitting down. Everybody is just hyped. The place is going nuts. Then the players run on the field. Everybody's excited. And after the national anthem, the players get together, and they huddle up. And you sit there, and you wait as the huddle goes on for about five minutes. And you're kind of like, when are they going to play the game? And then the huddle goes on for 10, 15 minutes. The huddle eventually lasts for an hour and 15 minutes. And then they finally break away from the huddle, and they go back to the locker room and go home. Wouldn't you be a bit disappointed? And the illustration that this pastor used was, that's often what we do as the church. That we get together in our nice little holy huddle for about an hour and 15 minutes, and then when game time comes, we just break go back and maybe discuss a little our opinions of how things went in the huddle but we never actually go get dirty and messy and maybe a little hurt and go play the game that's not what disciples ought to be like we don't just huddle up and then go home we huddle up and then we go play the game 
and you could get hurt. If you've played football before, you know that. You could get hurt. Playing the game, being sent back out into the world is dangerous. And we need to know that. But look at what Jesus calls the disciples to here specifically. It says he sent, he, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Preaching is not standing behind one of these things and talking into a microphone. That is preaching as well. But preaching is also simply proclaiming the good news, the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So can you preach? Yup. You can speak and God has saved you. You have a testimony of your personal faith in Jesus. You can certainly share that with other people. And so you're called as disciples. We're all called as disciples to preach. And then he also gives them authority to cast out demons. Now, I don't know if many of you have done that before. I haven't. Um, I've been a pastor for eight years now, yet to cast out my first demon. Um, and we kind of focus on that. Like, that sounds scary. What's Mark talking about? We focus on the demon part. I think what Mark wants us to focus on, though, is the authority part. Because he's always been talking all throughout the book of Mark so far about the authority of Jesus. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where something that was always done by Jesus because he had authority to do it is now going to be done by his disciples. Casting out demons is, the, is, is what's in mind here. So far in Mark, only Jesus has authority to do that. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, I give you authority to do this. So what we're going to do here in a few moments as we go out and we put on a vest that's bright orange and we pick up some trash and put it in bags or we clean up a park or clean up a cemetery, that's, that's really good stuff. And I'm very, or we go to a nursing home and, and get to visit with some people. All very, very good things. And I hope that we continue to do those. But that's what, what I fear is that we start to see the being sent out thing as an event and not a way of life. Do you know what I'm talking about? That we can see this as like, okay, now I can check off the being sent out off my, like I have this checklist. And I know I'm supposed to be sent out and do something as a disciple. So I'm just going to go and rake some leaves and then I can check that off my, my list. I went out. I went out and did something. And I think God is calling probably a lot of us to go rake leaves or whatever else we're going to do today. But I think discipleship is much more a way of life and service is much more a way of life than it is an event. And so that's the danger of doing something like this. You can even do that with a mission trip. Like, hey, I'm going to Haiti. I'm going to go proclaim the gospel to people for a week this summer in a uh, developing country. That's great. But we also feel the challenge and the burden, hopefully, and the weight of proclaiming the gospel 51 weeks out of the year in Iowa Falls and in our school and in our workplace and in the people that we have relationships with in our neighborhood or whatever. And so, disciples are called to do a number of things. But one of the primary things disciples are called to, if you look at Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, is that we're called to make disciples. That's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Jesus says, and here's kind of the two things. Jesus says, remember at the beginning of that? As he says, go and make disciples of all nations. At the beginning of that, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So the one promise that we hold on to as we're called to go out and make disciples is that Jesus has all authority. And he's the one calling us to do it. 
And then remember the promise at the end of the Great Commission? Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so I know it's scary. Number one and number two, being called to Jesus, being called out of your sin and out of this world to come to Jesus, and that you come then to Jesus and you put your faith in him, you're saved, and then you gather together with his people and you get to be with Jesus. That's easy, and then the hard part is being sent back out into the world. But we go back out into the world with those two promises, that Jesus has all authority and that he promises his constant presence with us. That's good news. So as disciples, we are people then who are called out of the world and given the undeserved privilege of joining a family of others who get to then be with Christ. And disciples are also people who are sent back out into the world. So are you a disciple? Maybe some of you, just maybe even something through something we've said or sung or whatever today, you're sensing, you know what, I'm not a disciple, but I'm sensing Jesus calling me. When Jesus calls, you know what people do? It is in verse 13, they came to him. That's what we desire. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, my desire is that you would come to Jesus. You would trust in Jesus. If you are a disciple, ask yourself this, where do you need to grow? How can you better use the privilege that disciples have of being with Jesus? How are you responding to the call of Jesus to go out and make disciples? How this week, Christian, will you break away from the huddle, aside from what we're going to do over the next two hours, what else will we do to break away from the huddle and engage in the active work of making disciples? That's what we're called to. It's a privilege to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's also a weighty responsibility.